we're on. Welcome back to Nobody Cares About Dad and uh, another live virtual social. <laughs> yeah. How you doing, Eddie? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. You? Yeah, not too bad, mate. This week, special guest, Luke. <laughs> How you doing? Luke Steele? I'm good. I'm slightly tired from training, <laughs> but um, I'm raring to go. Yeah, no, good. Pleased to, pleased to have you on. And we were sort of just sort of saying just before this, that this is our first in-person podcast. So uh, we'll iron out some of the creases <laughs> that we get with this. Uh, but yeah, look, look pl- pleased to have you on. Um, back at the place where your career started and mine ended, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Very fitting. Yeah, yeah. Um, but look, um, Luke, so one of the things we always do on this podcast is really just go back to the very beginning. So growing up, what was it like? What was your relationship like with your dad? Um, yeah, growing up, was he around? I, I, know, I, I know he was around, but yeah, just from your point of view, what was your relationship like with your, with your dad growing up? Right, yeah. It's weird because I've never been asked that question ever. <laughs> you know, like you, your friends are who your friends are, so it's strange to hear that. Um, I knew the theme of the podcast, but to actually be asked that is a, something you hear on Jerry McKyle or... We haven't got any surprise guests. Yeah. Like. <laughs> One of those shows. So like, yeah, let the counselling session commence. <laughs> yeah, my dad, um, my mum and dad are still together now. Um, I come from a family of five, three boys and obviously mum and dad. So yeah, my dad's always been around. Um, and it still is now and still is like a big part of my life. So... You know, there's no big dramas to think back at, and um, you know, we wouldn't make the Jeremy Carl show <laughs> if you're listening. It's not one of those. But you know, my dad's had a massive part of my life. Um, he's been a big part of my life. You know, I'd say we're friends now, which is it's just strange to say about your dad being your friend. I think it's uh, something that a lot of people don't say, and I'd like to say we are friends, but. It's not a friend as we are. We have normal friends. Course, and anybody course. who says that there is, then fair play, that's great for them. But I think a lot of people use that word, but it's not a friend. It's you're still your dad. There's a difference. And yeah. my dad's been there the whole way through, um, you know, and, and he's been fantastic for me, you know, from the start. Like you said at the beginning, this is actually the room that I signed my first professional contract, which is actually exactly 20 years ago. Wow. Virtually <laughs> to the day. Was your dad with you then? He was there then. Yeah, he was there then. He's uh, he was there with my mum, and we've got the photo, obviously, with the owner and Barry Fry, the manager at the time. Um, and he was also there two weeks ago, and we had the same photo signing for Notts County. So it was kind of <laughs> like I think he's been at virtually every signing, you know, with Sir Alex Ferguson, yeah, yeah. of course, and different managers. He might have missed a couple. Um, I think in Greece he couldn't be there. For obvious reasons and you know he's uh he's been at every sign and that's kind of really special for me because I, I like to sort of say look you're in the photo there's that's the memory because you helped me get there and and yeah. helped me along the way so it's kind of like something that i wanted to keep up as much as i could i was going to ask you was was football something that he sort of put on you as a, as a kid or did you sort of naturally find football because you, you see a lot of parents now it's like you're playing <coughs> you push them towards yeah, you've got it to be a footballer, or was it more of a natural progression for you that you started it, it was clear that my dad was sporty even from a young age um, I remember him always playing sport he was still playing football like just to early 40s mostly then cricket but my two older brothers um, played football and you kind of join in as the youngest yeah. one but my dad was really a really talented uh, sportsman and a, a story that sticks out in my mind which 
I do I do tell to a lot of um, academy kids starting off or parents if they feel like they need it is I remember him telling me when I was about 10, 11 that he was very good at sport. Right. <laughs> Virtually every sport, cricket, basketball, <laughs> volleyball, football, um, athletics. But he said that the one mistake he made, he didn't choose one sport to excel at. And I remember yeah. that advice when I was about 12, 13, it was a bit of a crossroads. Do I want to be a goalie and pursue it? I was like, yeah, that's, and I felt like I should choose one. And I, th I thank him for that because you can be like a bit part, you know, do a bit of everything yeah. and not quite go as high as you could, should do at one sport and that was good advice yeah. I think that's a lot on parents because kids nowadays you have they want to be part of every single club whether it's football athletics cricket drama everything it's about picking that one to focus on or you can spend your days being dad's taxis yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's all I envisage at the moment because yeah. my boy's four he's just got into football and I, I absolutely love that and I'm kind of going that way. I'm like, everything's football. As soon as we get back to mine, here's a football, let's go and play. Not, can I play on my racing cars? No, 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 football. And it's straight outside, it's playing. <coughs> yeah, I have I have the battle with my my wife's a horse, a horse rider. So they've got four horses in the family. And they're like, oh, we're just going to buy him a pony. And I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> like, he is not. I was like, you've got him for a couple of years and then he's literally, Saturday, Sunday, he's playing football. So he's got no time to ride a horse. Like, I've lost my wife to horse riding. Like I never <laughs> see her. Lose your son never own. see her ever. Yeah. So I'm not. I'm not having that. I'm not losing him to to that. So yeah, it's a, it's a concert. Every time he's like, "Do you want to play football?" I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Football, dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go. It's pissing down, but let's go. Let's go and play. Yeah. So I still want to be at that. I still want to be at like forty and on playing football when Dexter starts playing football like competitively. Mm. I still want to be at that because I have a memory playing for a local team and. uh there was two sons who played and their dad in the same team. He progressed. He used to play at the top, went to midfield, then went centre-back because you naturally <laughs> progress back. And his, both his sons were playing. And I remember being, I was 17 at the time and just having that feeling of, oh, I want that. Like, when I have kids, I want to still right. be playing in the same team. I'll still be that protective, like, you get stuck in and somebody gets stuck in on him. You're running over. But I always remember that and I thought, what a feeling that must be still playing and your son playing in the same team. Yeah, that'd I think be, that'd be incredible. A, there's a few professionals who've done it. I can't think of the top of my head who's done it recently. Weren't the Cliver one, but there was definitely a father and son. I think it might have, was it Teddy Sheringham? Might have played with his son because he went into really? 40s. Yeah, he played 40, like 44, wasn't he? Yeah. Still playing. <laughs> and I think it was at, um, not too low a league, but I think they definitely had a game together. I might be wrong, but it was something along those lines. But yeah, my, my dad was always, um, I know you said about the the father who pressurises son and we've all seen it and you know with the company that I have now I see it a bit more but like my dad was probably the opposite to that you know he um, stood at the side and even after the games he would never say straight away what, what I thought it would always have to be me saying what <laughs> right, do you okay. think so I was always waiting for him <laughs> to say something and I was when I played well I remember the one memory I couldn't wait to get in the car because I knew the way, the way that my dad told me I'd played well it was different every time, but it was that special that, like, I was when you know you played well yeah. as a kid, you know you played well and you've made lots of saves. And I was just waiting, and I used to say, "Try and wait as long as I could," and then <laughs> I'd say, "How do you think I did today?" <laughs> and he would go, "It probably just be exhale," and he would just exhale, and I knew that was enough for me to yeah. say yes. Like he knew he, he nice. thought I did well, so they they were great memories. And 
you know, getting to my dad's car after after you played game a game was one of the best feelings ever. Do you know it's funny that because we've we've interviewed and I've done quite a lot of one on one interviews with dads, and the ones that didn't grow up with dads, the one th- thing they all say that they missed was that when you went to play football and your dad was there watching you play, because like, they, obviously they weren't around. And that's the one thing that every dad that I've, we've interviewed that have haven't hasn't yeah. grown up with their dad. That football piece has always been the one thing that they've all had in common that. That's what I missed out it's on. It's just that praise, isn't it? You, like, because you look up to your dad. You just want that, that acknowledgement that they know you've done well. They, they see it. They feel it. <clears throat> I had my stepdad who used to come and watch me. He only ever came to like, two or three games because we got to a point where I was waiting for that debrief. And there was one game, didn't have a great game, and I just knew I was going to get like a pure debrief from my dad because he wanted me to do well. Yeah. And he meant well. But I just remember being at loggerheads like a teenager and you're just arguing and then the car ride home was just just quiet and I remember saying to my mum when I got back I don't want dad to come watch anymore so did, like, did you think what? you played well and he didn't think you did no no I knew I played bad oh, okay. I knew I played bad I just won one of the games you're just not on it yeah. it's just nothing would bounce right and stuff because I played as a striker nothing would fall correct it just felt tough and I just knew I was going to get you should have done this you should have done that You should. and I was just thinking I don't want that pressure, even as a kid. I get most people miss that and they want that kind of thing from their dads. But I'm going to try my hardest not to be like that for Dex. It put me off a little bit. Because really? then I thought, if, my, if I knew my dad was coming to a game, it's that little bit of pressure. And mm-hmm. you're thinking, right, I've really got to do well. Otherwise, it's going to be <laughs> an awful ride home. It's going to be debrief after debrief. And you think, oh, I don't need that. Not as a kid. You just want to play and have fun. But I, I get it. He was trying to push me. Luke, do you, do you remember signing pro? Do you remember that when you told your dad that that was going to happen, what that conversation was like? Y- yeah, I remember it clearly. I remember because basically I got a YTS, as it's called. It's a scholarship now. But I remember getting told quite early. And even though deep down I knew that I'd probably get one, it was that feeling and my mum and dad were just like really like wanted to praise me and say brilliant and they're always cautious about my career always to the point where it was like okay you've got you know you stayed on say under 12s and 13s okay but you, you don't know what's going to happen don't like you know it's not it's not certain that you're going to get anywhere and oh yeah and they brought me back down that far that it was always like right I've now got a scrap for the next one yeah. my mum more, probably more so than my dad but I remember you know getting a professional deal it was actually on my birthday so you can only sign at 17 so they signed me on my actual birthday so that was my 17th <laughs> birthday I came here and yeah I know and I signed it was it was great but um it probably weren't like looking back now and think listening listen to AD about your son becoming a professional footballer it probably wasn't as special at the time because I was kind of just after the next thing after mm-hmm. the next thing but you know yeah. it was pretty cool that you know, he could then say his, you know, son Luke, that was Luke, yeah, he's, he's a professional at Posh now. Yeah. So being a dad, that only I only realise those things when I think deep, like the last few years. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. uh, he was always mega proud. And in that next year was just, you know, it just completely took off. And I was lucky enough to play in the first team here. And the the story goes quickly. I, I was getting ready to play an under-19 game. Down the road, I was in my digs just had a shower and someone said oh Steely the first team bus is here <laughs> oh, this is God's honest truth and um, I was like what is this a wind up and then one of the players had come off and they said Steely come on 
They're like, I was like, what? And they're like, you were the first team today. And like, no one had ever told me. And I still don't know today whether that was a bit of genius from Barry Fry or just bad communication from the managers. <laughs> yeah. So I then got on the bus. They uh, went to Reading, which was a full house at 17. It was a big daunting <laughs> day. And the one thing I remember saying, like, I need to tell my mum and dad. And Barry was like, don't worry, they're coming. We've already spoke to them. And that's why I always thought he knew what's going on. My oh, granddad, wow. my nan, my grand, my nan, granddad, mum, dad were all at the game. Yeah. I think they even got driven to the game from uh, from Peterborough. So, you know, it was always on, it was on my mind. It was like my lucky thing or most games my dad was at. Like I'm talking 99% of the yeah. games he was at. Um, so my debut, I was like, and then as soon as I knew he was there, I was like, right, okay, I can concentrate and, yeah, get on with it. So all the big special moments he's been at. Uh, how how do you deal with that? Because what seven seventeen at that point, right? Yeah. So how do you deal with the that pressure of being in the first team at seventeen, and and I suppose also with it being sprung on you. So it wasn't like you were you had the build up for the week before where you like I'm in the team this week. I could deal, deal put it in my head what, what I know what I'm going to do, how I want to be. It was like bang right now you're in the first team. <laughs> was, was, was mentally how do you deal with that that was probably the genius part about <laughs> you saying he just turned up you didn't probably have that yeah. time to go it, it's hard I mean talk about nerves and you know anxiety and things like that <laughs> I've it's like an out-of-body experience. The debut is the most nerve-wracking, especially a full house at the Medeski Stadium, 22,000. I think Redding had to win to get promo promotion, so it was a big, big atmosphere. <laughs> and before that, I'd only ever played in, you know, a few hundred at most. You know, and you just kind of, you feel sick, you feel like you don't want to eat. <laughs> Pre-match is a nightmare. Even now I get nervous, to be honest, but... It's one of them things that you train and train and train and you wonder why you're just training all the time. You don't want to play games. But it's because when you come to that moment of pressurised situations, training comes to the head and, you know, everything takes over naturally. Yeah. So everything went well and it did again. I played the next game here. Everything went well because I was, I was ready and I was trained. I was trained properly. And mentally I was stable enough to handle with that, that pressure. And, you know, thankfully they put me in at the right time, not too young, um, to deal with that. So, again, sticking on the dad thing, it's just, you can imagine me after coming out of that stadium, doing all the press and things like that, seeing my mum and dad, it was just like, wow. Did you see them in the, did you know where they were in the stadium? Yeah, but I can't, I can never remember seeing them because obviously then it was a big full yeah. house and, you know, the Peterborough fans were kind of um, in one side, but yeah. I remember it, after that, I you know I, I knew where my dad would sit for the various clubs I played for. So as I get to the end of the warm up or midway through the warm up, my dad always had this big stance. He's bigger than big six foot four um, guy, and he kind of stood stood tall. And I always <laughs> see him, acknowledged him, get on with it. But if you if it's just before I'm leaving to go into the game, and I haven't seen dad, that's when things start playing in my oh, head, wow, okay. and I'm like, where the Hell is he? Right. Are we allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've avoided it a few times. But it's not PG. It's <laughs> and I'm like, where the hell is he? So it's one of them. If you've got a lucky charm, you've got to make sure you take care of it. So yeah, as you get older, you get more experience with those things. But to see dad at the end of a debut, the hometown of Peterborough, it was yeah. like yeah. phenomenal. It's nice you've got those um, like superstitions almost, those rituals. You have to see your dad or acknowledge your dad. Know he's there. That settles you. Yeah. That's, that's, that's nice. I like that. Well, it, even like from that. Sunday League when I played for Nubra, um, 15 minutes from here, my dad used to stand kind of behind the goal 
and you know you don't know where to stand as a kid really I used to stand on my line all the game <coughs> 11 v 11 on my line ball used to be up there I'd be still and he'd just be going Luke go on <laughs> just, just go on and then he'd kind of teach me to push forward and yeah, okay. you know but that was the only time he communicated to me on the pitch so yeah I, I was going to ask you actually but I think you've already sort of pre-answered this because obviously you get the move to United at 17 I think yeah. it was how as a young man making his sort of way in the world of professional football how do you keep grounded with because I, I think I've heard you say that United were your team as well yeah. then, weren't they well dad's from Manchester right yeah so how how do you keep grounded keep, how do you yeah. keep grounded how do you not let that because well how do, you, how do you not let that go to your head but then I think you, you sort of said your parents would always sort of bring you back down a little bit step by step and then you're always looking for the next thing was was that a part of you keeping grounded for that for that move or yeah I think by 17 you've got some foundations that you've learned over the years and my mum and dad like I said they're always keeping me grounded didn't like any of this presumptuous showy stuff um it, and like I say it's probably the complete other way they went completely that way and that you know by the time I was 17 I knew and then my mum would drop in comments and things like that but I knew that you know I'd played two games I weren't stupid I weren't stupid I hadn't made it I didn't then think mm -hmm. oh, I'm going to be this and that I, I still thought I've got a long way to go to actually achieve being a foot proper yeah. professional footballer but you know it's um, when you get told things time and time again then it, you get put into action those things come to fruition and you know it's one thing that I found quite easy to be honest you know, you're doing media and you're doing this and that, which makes you feel great. But, you know, there was always this voice saying, you know, the hard work starts now. Mm -hmm. So then when I say about having a really, really great dad, it wasn't just as a kid. You know, I was 17, 18, 19, 20. He was still a voice in my head. But, you know, I was a long way from, from home at this point and all those things that he'd taught me, you know, those those chaps in the car, like probably I learn, I tell you, honestly, I always say it now and it's it's hard because it's not an exaggeration. I, I speak about schools and I think schools are great and I think there's different kinds of kids that learn different ways. But I can tell you now, I learn most of what's in my brain sitting in my dad's passenger seat. You know, whether it be about the world, about World War One, World War Two, yeah. about countries, about politics, because you get sat with an adult driving to football, driving on the way back, and my mum, by the way, just in case this is this. Excuse me. Yeah, who taught me mathematics, but, you know, other things. My dad, and then he teaches you, I think that's a great a great chance to teach somebody um, about personalities, how you should be, trusting people, con artists. Mm -hmm. I could tell you, and even today, I get in situations I could tell you a hundred stories, but I could get I get in situations and I think, I remember dad saying about that, don't buy a watch off a dodgy guy in Queensgate. <laughs> <laughs> One example. And I remember, you know, little things like that because, you know, somebody giving you good advice yeah. um, all the time and it does stick in the end. So I, I always think as a parent now, I think, okay, you're going to make loads of mistakes, but as long as 90% of your communication with your kid is in that direction where yeah. you want to go, then it's hopefully going to stick. Might not stick when they're four, five, six, you know. But when they get older, yeah. these things are going to going to be implanted in in your child's head. And I'm going to try and use the same tactic because I think it worked with my dad and me. That's good though, because like we said we've spoke to before about like to other dads and stuff. 
it's amazing how you try and replicate your own dad growing up you try and there's certain things that stick in your mind all the time and like now with my little boy <clears throat> he's only four and he's asking me some weird questions <laughs> I'm trying to give him the answer but what I've noticed now is he starts copying me a lot so in the mornings like morning routine dressing gown on downstairs you get your breakfast he's now started following putting his dressing gown on downstairs really? sitting waiting for his breakfast he'll have his breakfast set up the same as me and then we'll have a little conversation and you just think I hope he's taking this in and these are the memories that are forging his mind yeah um, and I always try and just be honest with him because like you say about con artists and things like that there's always going to be people, people that will pull the wool over your eyes mm-hmm. but with me we have such a good relationship already that it's just fun like we have so much fun and it's because we have that time with each other we have the car journeys and I'll chat to him all day. <laughs> He'll be in the back seat, in the car seat, chatting absolute nonsense. Half the time I'm just agreeing with him. Like, yeah, don't want yeah. to confuse him because he is young. But it always sticks in my mind, like the conversations I used to have with my dad or my stepdad. And it was very much that. I learned a lot from him about the world. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to do. It's funny how we replicate. You try and replicate. And I hope I get to the stage, you know, where I have to keep him grounded. Um but if that happens, like if that happens, then I know I've, I've made it with him because I've got to keep him grounded that he's focused and he's put all of his effort into that one thing. I don't want to be that pushy parent yeah, at all, but I'm, I'm always going to be, you know, a bit like your dad. I'll be standing next to him on the sideline, whatever sport he's doing. I know myself, I'll be little voice in his head. And I just, <laughs> I just want it to be when he grows up and I'm not there. He remembers some of the things that I've said. Yeah, that, that's that's and they my will. Goal. Yeah, they will because my mum thinks I'm making up sometimes, and I tell her I don't know if it's just the memory, but I have. But I tell her exact examples of when they've said stuff from late eighties, early nineties, and I'll be able oh. to tell her, and then they'll be like, "Oh yeah," <laughs> and I'll tell her where we are, where I learnt it. Do you know what I mean? But if I read a book, no chance remembering <laughs> yeah. it. I've, I think I've read. It's quite embarrassing. I think I've read two books in my whole life. One being David Seaman's autobiography. Yeah. Um, because I, didn't, I never learned that way. But if somebody tells me in the right way, then I remember it. Well, that's, that's the same as me. So I, I used to do, when I left, the, well, I was going to say football career, but it wasn't really a football career. But when I stopped playing football, I went to the theatre. Right. So I did like West End shows and stuff like that. But I couldn't read, I can't learn a script. So when some, if I'm reading it back, I just couldn't, it wouldn't go in, so I'd have to audio record it, mm. and then I'd play it through the earphones, like in, like an audio book. Mm-hmm. Go to bed with it, and that's how I would learn my scripts. Like I just can't when I read it on paper; it just doesn't stick. So similar to you, like that, I think. Yeah, that's yeah. great. So moving moving to United, what support is there for young men in terms of media, financial? Do they give you any? sort of training or financial advice or, the, or is it just here's your contract this is the team make your own sort of way in life or is is there sort of support in the background from these sort of clubs yeah they give you everything do they everything what was your first one financial support media, like media, media like yeah media. we had media training yeah. we did that at college um, you know don't know how many times but you'd have media training interviews, watch it back, blah, 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 talk about what you should and shouldn't say. Very early age. Um, 
financial advisors would be at the club. Hmm. So you all of a sudden you'd say, right, all the under 18s, um, you've got a meeting today, financial advisors, and you know, you'd get a chance to speak privately after. Um, everyone had a chance to obviously do their own thing, but a club like Man U was doing that yeah. 20 years ago. Um, I'm sure if anybody was struggling with different bits and bobs, they would have helped. Um, yeah, very good. Very good club. Excellent. And and to the point where I remember, and my mum always says this to me as well, she, um, signing my contract. And then I remember Ferguson, Sir Alex Ferguson. Sorry. <laughs> Just guess he's watching. I've had to point out half a beer. I was calling him Ferguson. Um, you know, he'd say to me, and my mum and dad, like in his office, he'd say, now you don't mention how much you're on to anyone. Yeah. You know, and you'd make sure you do this. And I, I actually remember... Um, complaining that I had to pay for my own digs when I hit 18 and I'd mentioned it to the youth team coach the next few days I was called into the manager's office which was like what like, so I had to go <laughs> knock on Sir Alex Ferguson's door and he said heard you've been you know you're a bit upset about paying for your own digs and I was like oh you know I just wanted to know what's going on and he said well look son he called me son all the time but he, he said look your digs is 400 a month right he says you're on X amount he says, that shouldn't be a problem for you to pay for it. Now you're 18, you should learn how to deal with these things. And he said it in such a way, I felt like it was, you know, someone like my dad, yeah. some, something like my dad would say, I've never paid, paid rent in my life. Yeah. And he said, look, if you put that 400 there, you've still got this, which is more than enough, blah, blah, blah. And he explained it the way, that's the manager. Yeah. You know, at Premier League winning side, that's the manager. And that's when I talk about class and like how good people are. Like diff loads of different examples there. With, with Sir Alex Ferguson but that was just one example of him being class you know mm -hmm. I'd never ever heard that kind of detail yeah the fact that he was bothered the fact that that got back to him yeah the fact that he called me into his office <laughs> sat me down yeah. I hadn't been anywhere near the first team yeah because really, he could have used anybody to, to do that yeah yeah <clears throat> but he cared and that's how he wanted he knew, and he remembered him telling me as if like he was teaching me yeah and I learned it and I learned it forever that you know get your house sorted pay like that's a small percentage yeah. to make sure you don't get a house that's too big or a mortgage mm -hmm. that's too big and that in that three minute chat i learned about money i know it sounds mad like that that's and that's from somebody who i'd idolized <laughs> for years anyway what but, a memory though what what is what a position like you can say that that's the story you had with alex Ferguson. yeah Sorry, but, Ferguson. but it's just those those small details isn't it i think like i, I think back to obviously not football but bosses that you've had like I've worked for big businesses that have you know thousands of employees yet the CEO knows your name just little things like that and you think how does he remember everybody's name but, like, but when he comes over and he's like oh Marco can I have a can I have a chat just like that little detail you just think oh, I enjoy working for you yeah. you go back to uh, what you just said there Luke about <clears throat> class it shows the class of somebody if they they take the time to to know their people to be able to sit and actually talk to them not talk at them but talk with them and to them um, I had it in the military you get high ranking but and you think of the military it's all it's rank structure and certain ranks you can go and approach and talk to certain you can't depending on your rank and it's like a hierarchy but it's to the extreme because it's discipline it's, it's all that but I remember <laughs> being at RAF Cranwell and the station boss so the station commander <coughs> basically in charge of everybody one of the briefs we gave him one morning he called me over by my first name, which again is rarity because it's normally your surname, rank and surname. And he called me over by my first name and I went, the old 
50p like temp. I was like, oh no, <laughs> like you got the, the station commander yeah. saying, AD, come here. I'm like, oh shit, I'm done. That's it. And he called me over and he sat me down and he thanked me for something. And I was just like, in awe of this guy, like thinking, of <clears throat> the, the hundreds and hundreds of people on this base, you've called me over by my name. <laughs> you thank me for something. You sort of walk out there, Billy Big Balls. You're like, yeah, yep, untouchable. Obviously, you soon get brought back down. Yeah, you walk in and then you got your sergeant going, "Oi, dickhead, get back here." I think oh, that's it. You're back to work. But it shows the it's leadership. It shows a quality leader for me. Yeah, that's. I'm a United fan. Fergie for me is up there, like quality leader. But hearing that. It just puts more light on him. It's like, that's amazing. Well, my, my dad coming from Manchester and being Man U fan, which is why we all support mm-hmm. United. I, I think it must have been our second time there. No, actually, it was the, de- definitely the first time. And I remember my uh, when we, my dad says this even now, but Sir Alex Ferguson, we'd go into his office and this before I'd signed and it'd be high Gordon, high Val. Wow. You know, <laughs> <coughs> like That's... he'd address them as like the main ones and yeah. then it'd be me so it'd be Gordon Val <laughs> then me and then when I actually talked about signing the contract remember I have got no clue about numbers I haven't got a clue <laughs> I didn't go in thinking about any money or anything like that but he did it with me and I don't know whether that was because I was 17 my agent was there but he, he we sat at a table like this and he was the one who wrote the numbers down and said look this is what um turned the pad around and showed my mum my dad and then I had to kind of go <laughs> oh yeah what's you know it was a four year deal and what how much but like you know he did that and I I knew that instantly my dad was if you think of somebody who is in the limelight and he's you know they say never meet your heroes don't they but mm. this guy was everything and more much more the whole time I was there the whole time I was there that's amazing that's amazing <laughs> who was your hero growing up Ryan Giggs. Was it? Yeah. And is that is that true then, never meet your heroes? Because <laughs> you obviously met him, you you worked with him. Was he as... Because you say don't meet them because when you do sometimes meet them, it can be a disappointment, can't it? Yeah. What was that like for you then, meeting your hero? Um, it was like, you know, obviously the manager's one thing, but meeting Giggs, he was like extra special for me. He was, he was my hero, still is now like the footballer who I always think of he's when I watch that montage that you want that energy and that mm-hmm. I always watch this BBC one that uh, they've done on Ryan Giggs and yeah again he was pure class he isn't the loudest guy in the dressing room um, quick witted though and as the years the four years five years went on I sort of had more dealings with him and you know I was lucky enough to play a few games with him um, went on tour with him a few times but again he was no let down at all no. I so imagine it just be pure professional, like training, games. Yeah, and I think also with his kind of life, the way he'd come through at 17, mm-hmm. he obviously had trust issues even within the change room. So they had their Busby, um, Fergie, Fledgen, sorry, mm-hmm. you know, the normal, the ones he grew up with. But then outside of that, like I do now, I don't always speak freely in front of the younger players, players yeah. I don't know. So, you know, he was a bit reserved, a bit, you know, similar to David Beckham. They wouldn't like shout and blah, yeah, blah, yeah. blah. But just pure class and such such a good football player much better football player than I thought um, even before I went but again yeah such a great guy my my, well, he's not my hero but I, for, for a long time Robin Van Persie was my right. was my guy and I was your meeting and then I met I, 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 say, I say I met him like, 
we were passing in the street. Right? <laughs> and so I used to live in, I used to live in Wilmslow. And he was he was around there, and he was coming out of Majestic Wines one day. It was just after he'd scored that volley, you know, for against Villa to, oh, win, right, the, yeah. to win the league. And he was coming out of Majestic Wine, carrying this box of wine, putting it in his in his Bentley RVP, whatever number he had. And it was literally just as on the street. And I was like, I, I literally walked past the front of his car. And I thought, you know, I'm just, I, and I've always been one that I wouldn't say hello to. I just think I just cringe, you know, I can have a picture. It just, it's just not me. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to say, hi, mate. How are you doing? And I was, I walked, and as I was going past, I was like, Robin, how, how are you doing, mate? You're right. And he just looked at me and went. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from then I was like, oh, I don't like him anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, a case of yeah, meeting, you, meeting, oh, you, meeting your idols. Um, How's, um, <clears throat> so not just, like, we'll get off football in a second, but in terms of changing room, so you think back to when you were here, you're professional, and then you moved, and each club you've been at, has it changed now? Like the mentality in the changing room, like what you can say in front of people, what you can't? the banter because obviously we're living in obviously everything's changed nowadays in the world it's all PC. PCP and everything you've got to be mm. you've got to be so mindful all the time but I remember back to when I was playing football and even at like college and academy teams and stuff you just used to say whatever you wanted and the banter was there sometimes it was like wow like have you said that but there was nothing made of it but obviously nowadays I just imagine like part of what you're probably on about the mm -hmm. late 90s and early thousands there was still a lot of bullying in football yeah and in life but when you look at it from a different perspective and you and you have these media outlets to explain it to you you know you're never too old to learn and I, i've learned a lot yeah. and i've realized that you know <clears throat> certain things aren't right because i only see it from a great you know 20 years of i went in the youth system flourished and I played and then I've got contracts and I've got 20 years but then most of the boys that I played with you know like self didn't go into professional football and whatever but like some boys didn't because they chose to get out yeah. and you think about what happened to them and the pathways they took and you know it's uh, I've certainly seen a lot of bullying and a lot of things were have been wrong and it's improved and and that's that's great I, I was thinking about so, and it, you know it's funny it's funny you say that because do you remember here they used to have everyone used to have a nickname didn't they do you yeah. remember they were, they were pasty custard <laughs> um, Shane Tolley he was a brilliant player by that when everyone ever asked me one of the best player I ever played with it was I always say Shane Tolley really and he was so good but he had bad injury didn't he um, yeah he had some bunions on his feet and uh, <laughs> different things yeah he was a special special young player him yeah. and Jamie Day yeah. both came from the south of England and <laughs> They were both class, and Jamie actually retired for his back. I don't know if I don't know if you know no, that he was no. twenty six. I think he was. He was doing great, and you know he had um, big troubles with his back. But yeah, Shane Tolley was was yeah. brilliant. He lives out in Dubai now. Does he? Yeah, he's just become a dad. Has he? Yeah. I reach out to him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was thinking. I remember the nicknames that everyone used yeah. to have. You won't remember what mine was, but like it was <laughs> it was B Boba Luba. <laughs> <laughs> and I was driving here today thinking, is that racist? Like, yeah. Is that Marky racist that they used to call me? It was Gaffer they called me that. Really? Yeah. And I, I, I literally thought about it driving here today. I was thinking, oh, everyone's nickname. And I thought, 
I said, yeah, my nickname was that. <laughs> and I was like, because I remember, I remember. I don't even know what that means. No, I, I don't, but I remember calling. <laughs> Do not was Google it, it. Was it I, I or well, yeah. what was the training ground? I, yeah, I, 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 didn't, I didn't come to training one day and I, I had to call the training ground and he picked up the phone, oh, it's, it's uh, people Balebra's on the phone. And I was a bit like, obviously then I didn't think anything of it. But literally, today drink, driving, I was like, that's mildly racist, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, times have, times have changed up now. You wouldn't get, you, you definitely wouldn't get no, away no. now, I don't think. No. Do you find you, your attitude has changed since becoming a dad? Like, do you find that sometimes you're sat there going, that's not all right, or if there's a younger player, you kind of almost parent, because I find it a lot, like the football team I play for now, they're a lot younger. And sometimes I will sit there and I'll have a conversation with a, one of the mm. lads. I'll be sitting there thinking, I'm not his dad, but I'm like trying to give him advice or talking through a situation he's in, or you know, if he's had a bad game, you get it as a youngster. You you're really frustrated with yourself. But it's it's good that people are opening up about because I think rewind to when we were young guys at seventeen. I don't think we would have ever turned around to someone like, mate. <laughs> you know, I'm not, dream I'm, I don't feel good, or I'm not, doing, so I'm not doing so well. But now it's less acceptable. Yeah, it's less of, of a, I think the the one the one positive that's come that comes out of the coronavirus pandemic is that mental health issues are less of a taboo, which means that more and more people can talk about it. And if the more people talk about it, the more people will get help and the less touch award people yeah. will make that wrong wrong decision and, you know, go the opposite way and go go down the suicide route, which is yeah. something we talk about quite a lot on here. Cause you know, I lost a friend to suicide at 21 and we're raising, we're raising money for Calm. I don't know if you know Calm, they're a charity. It's called right. yeah, I've heard of yeah, that. Campaign, for Live, campaign Against Living Miserably. And they, they're just battling against 125 people a week commit suicide. 75% of them are men. But the one stat that a lot of people don't know is that 33% of those men are new dads. And it's like, what pressure is on these young men that's causing them to either not open up or not be able to or feel like they can open up, that they have to go and do that. So I think, yeah, the, the, one, the one benefit is that more and more people, it's, it's less of a taboo, more and more people can talk about it and hopefully we can get those numbers but You think of a 22-year-old, 20, when you were 22, you would not sit there and talk to somebody no. in your football team saying, oh, my head's all over the place, I'm going through this, 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 at 22. No. You just wouldn't. Whereas now they are. So I think it has, to your point, it's made it almost more acceptable to actually speak up about it and show that you've, you've got feelings. Yeah. Especially like, you think back to when you became a dad and, and you, Luke. How instantly you change mm -hmm. because all of a sudden you're like, fuck, I've got this massive responsibility now. <clears throat> and obviously the, the high rate of suicide is that, it's probably that part going, I can't go, but who do you turn to? Who yeah. do you speak to? And you just take it on yourself. Um, it, it's tough. It's tough. When you became a dad, how did you feel? Did you go, yeah, I've got this, it's easy? Or was you like inside going, oh, How shit. old were you, Luke, when you became a... 31. So where was you club-wise then? Uh, I was at Panathinaikos. Okay. So my first daughter was born in Athens, in Greece. Wow. Um, was you trying for kids or was it... Yeah. Yeah, okay. We were trying. First time lucky, I think it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's hard. <laughs> I mean, there's so many layers to being a dad. I just thought it would be our late night's tiredness. That would yeah. be the hard thing. But for me, like maybe that contributes, but 
I think I think being a dad in the early stages is not all that it's cracked out to be. I think I said that mm-hmm. right. It's and I've I've asked people have asked me advice. Oh, I'm going to be a new dad. What what do you think? And I've given this one piece of advice, and this sounds ruthless. This sounds horrible. <laughs> what I'm about to say, but I stick by it because I felt like it of all three of my children, and it's difficult to hear this as a woman maybe because it's going to be sound horrible and building this up now <laughs> yeah, yeah, on, let's get but, the I but I don't think like this is my <laughs> own thing and I'm going to use the words that I actually use not try and uh, dilute it in any way I don't think I've loved any of the three children instantly mm-hmm. and I don't think that it's something that comes in a few weeks and all three of them I mean the youngest one's only five months but like when you say you love someone, yeah, when you say you actually love somebody, I've probably said, and the advice I've passed on to my good, good mates, and this is exactly how I say, I say, look, you won't love your kid until you're seven months, it's seven months. And that sounds horrible, but <laughs> I say that to my good friends who yeah. are like asking me for proper advice because that's how I felt. And I've, and I've said that like, I, you could you could say, oh yeah, instantly I loved him and I loved her and all the rest of it. But that's how I felt and that, that's how... Like, I knew I'd protect the, the, uh, my daughters and my son straight away. I knew I'd do anything for them straight away. But to actually feel that bond, um, you don't for a, for a lot longer than I thought. I'm not going to speak for you guys, but you don't feel that bond for a lot longer than I, I planned. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be this day. And it was a great, every time I've had a child, it's the, the day is brilliant. I love the day. Such a relief. Yeah. Like, it's a, wow, it's like, a, you know, emotional, teary day and then the, the few days after then there's a big come down and then obviously the you know the breastfeeding starts and things like that and you just feel I felt like not not wanted but useless I felt useless at times and that makes me feel angry yeah in every each each <laughs> of my three children I felt really angry uh, in at times you know where yeah. I've like launched bo- bottles across the room yeah. while I'm with yeah. like the baby or something, or I've punched something because I had to get it out because I didn't know how to, you know, uh, settle the child. Yeah. I didn't know how to, whatever. And then I go back to the love thing because it is such a strong set <laughs> sentence, but like, I didn't feel that. But then when you do, it's there and it's there forever. Yeah. But like, it, it's, it, I'm not going to say it's an object, but it was like, so surprising because I was like, but I'm this guy who's, you know, quite a good guy and I'm quite a loving guy and, and you know, love my family. I'm going to love this child straight away, but I didn't. <laughs> and I was like, what's wrong with me? Like, mate, do I? But, but then it became, it came clear over time where they need, then, then became responsive to me. So you don't get that attention straight away from a baby. And obviously it learns quickly that the mum is the one who p- provides the yeah. milk. Maybe it's just a nature thing. And a scientist could tell me that I'm like, <laughs> fine, that's normal. But that's how I felt. And that was the hard part, you know, the hard part of finding that way of that, getting that connection. And it doesn't matter how many night feeds you do and things like that. It was a matter of time. And then all of a sudden you, you got something back and you, you made that connection. So I found it hard. I found it frustrating. And I still do now at times, mm-hmm. especially when I rush things, you know, when I rush things, I, I get things wrong. Yeah, and that's what annoys me. It's not alien though. That well, we I hear that a lot. So <laughs> I remember one of the very first podcasts I did. Where, um, he was he was saying the same. He said the baby was born, and actually he saw it as a burden. You know, he was a young guy, twenty four, I think he was. He's now having to 
give all his money to this kid or spend all his time with his kid away from his friends not playing football and he said it wasn't it was three months where he felt like this he didn't want this kid he said and then it almost it was almost like a, like you said there instantly where it just went boom and it was like actually like now I, I get it now I need to stop being selfish mm. and the, the interesting part about that was that when I, when we did that podcast the amount of dads that messaged me after and was like do you know what I felt like I was weird because I didn't have that instant connection, but now hearing other people say that they did, they didn't have it. Also, actually, makes me feel a little bit better because I'm not I'm not weird. It, yeah. it is it is maybe it is more normal than you'd actually. Well, everyone's different. Aren't they? Everyone's different. Everyone goes through <clears throat> their own emotion. You can't read a book and say that's how you should feel. That's how you parent. You learn from, like you say, you you pick up things from from your own upbringing and then you have all these different emotions and on that day it is the best day ever but on that day it's like right it's fight or flight you go right okay yeah I love it that's it brilliant come here or you go oh fuck what am I going to do <laughs> what do I do with that yeah <laughs> it's so easy as well isn't it Aidy to say oh my God, I'm so in love with the baby yeah. here all the time and you just think Oh yeah, like maybe you are like you see that more with women and the yeah. men don't usually say anything. No. And I think to myself, I bet they're feeling how I felt. Not not yeah, maybe yeah. the first day because it's like great, and then after a few weeks you think, yeah, yeah it's all right. Like yeah. I'm going to work and stuff like that. I haven't made that bond with it. Yeah, I've I've got a friend. Um, I won't name him actually. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> uh, but he. So my boy was, I don't know, ten months old, and. We went for, for lunch uh, in well, Nutsford somewhere and he came out, just me and my boy and my mate. And of course I've not really been out in a while because I've obviously got a new new baby. The missus was at the horses, so I'd, I had him for the day and we were like, went for lunch. And he sat there looking at me going, do you love him? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. He's like, but why? He's like, what's he done? Like, what's he? And he's, he's, he's not joking, he's joking. You just couldn't understand why you would love this kid he, yeah. just, he just couldn't understand it and I was like I can't explain it because it, for me it, it was instant like mm. I, I, I talk about it a lot but I, I think you know in the first two weeks when we, we have you know the paternity leave I used to have him on my lap and I'd just look at him and i think fucking love you mate <laughs> like, that, that's just I had, I had that straight away but really yeah and I, I, but yeah, it was, I, it's funny that he's just like I just don't I just don't, <laughs> I just don't get it like how old is it same age as us 36 right, okay. yeah <laughs> Yeah, he's yeah, he's nuts, nuts guy. I'm trying to get him on the podcast, but he, he's he's not a dad, <laughs> yeah. but his view on the world is fair play. It's hilarious. I probably shouldn't be a dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so you sort of waited till 31 to, to you. Was that at the point when you felt like you was ready to have a kid, or like, what? Why? Why? Because did you say three brothers and a couple of sisters? Did you say no? Just two brothers. Just two, two brothers, older brothers. Two older brothers. The so three of you. Yeah. Did you always know that you wanted to have kids when you was growing up? No, not at all. I was no. one of them saying I don't want to get married and I'm not really feeling anything for kids. Yeah, yeah I was very career driven. Yeah, but also mm -hmm. like enjoyed my free time doing this and doing that, and I was kind of um, single for quite a long time, but. I think I think what it was, and I think this happened to a friend of mine as well. My oldest brother, who was quite old as well, for when he had his first child, he had April. I think when not quite old, but like I think he was maybe thirty, thirty-one, might have been the same age. I think when he had April, um, things changed because that was the first baby in our family that was like 
you know, really close to me. Mm. And I just saw it and I, me I remember thinking, wow, like, you know, staying at my mum's house when I was back from Greece one time and she would come trotting in the house and I'd be like, wow, like, you know, that's pretty cool. Yeah. But it's all about the person you meet. I think yeah. I, for me, I've, I've met, I've met girls, you know, when I've, you know, been in relationships and I think it's the one question I've always asked myself, like when people say, do you like her? And I have to ask myself, do I want children with her? Yeah. And if it's, if it's not a straightaway yes, then I think mm, that's kind of a problem. And, and when I met my partner now, I knew instantly and um, we were pregnant after six months of meeting each other. Wow. Uh, but I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of people thought, oh, it was a bit of a mistake because they've only been together six months, but I can assure you it wasn't. You know, we yeah. had that conversation mm -hmm. and like I said, it did happen really quickly, but, um, you know, we got pregnant straight away. Do you think that, is is there an element of, obviously wanting to say single, not really wanting to have kids? Is I, and I don't know this because I'm not in the public eye, I've not been a professional footballer, but is there an element of not trusting people? because people would maybe want to take advantage of money or you know girls like when you're younger you see the the, the dolly the dolly bears that they do, yeah. all they do is chase footballers is there an element of that from you thinking oh, i don't know if i want to get involved with that when you were younger i'm talking about uh, yeah definitely definitely from the start i mean people would tell me about that and um i was probably overprotective of myself you know i'd meet people and purposely not follow it through because I weren't quite sure and then you know I'd, I'd date girls and I'd just I'd have that negative kind of outlook on it yeah and um, yeah I was always cautious of who I like properly took out and went on dates with and things like that um, eventually you have to let go you know it's one thing I probably regret that because I think that I was a bit closed shop you know people would meet me and I'd think oh, I'm not really going to give them everything not going to give them like myself like my real personality because because of that but then as you get older you realize that you've got to trust people that's something my dad says actually a lot he said he always says it he says i know you gotta be cautious of everybody you've got to trust some people and throw yourself into it and say yeah i'm gonna work for you or i'm gonna you know uh, and that kind of came to light eventually and thankfully it did but yeah you've got to be careful i mean you, it was always my worst nightmare I mean, my worst nightmare was to get a girl pregnant yeah. <laughs> that I weren't in love with and I yeah. weren't going to be with. My worst nightmare. Like, you know, and uh, thankfully that never happened, um, kind of. But like, you know, it's difficult because I didn't ever think about having kids and I weren't ever like, oh, I'd love a family and things like that. Late 20s, weren't even thinking of that really. And then just bam, all of a sudden I realised it was something important to yeah. me and I wanted to go for it. So one of the things we always ask all dads, do you remember the moment you were told that she, she's pregnant? Do you remember that? Where you were? Yeah, I've got pictures <laughs> on, my, on my phone, yeah. It was mental. Like, it's, it's the craziest time. I mean, we'd only be, me and Jess had only been together six months, like I said before. And I was staying at her house, I was back from Greece, and she told me that um, she was late she told me she was late but like with that look that I'd not seen before and I was like oh you're being serious <laughs> and I was like so I threw it back on her saying come on then we're going to get a test like think, calling her bluff thinking she'll be like no 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 it's fine yeah. and she went okay come on then <laughs> so then at 5 to 11 at night we're trying to find somewhere with a pregnancy test and she we got back and I still didn't even think, I thought, ah, oh, this just be a bit of an adventure, like a bit yeah. of a late nine, a few people got a McFlurry on the way home. <laughs> and all of a sudden it would come back and she was pregnant. <laughs> and 
flipping hell, guys. Like, I've played in like some strange football <laughs> matches, so that was a weird moment because because I wasn't scared. I wasn't. I was happy. Yeah. I was happy, but surprised. I'd never thought about that moment in my life. Yeah. And I was like, wow, what? And I was so happy. Honestly, I. It, I'll show you the pictures if I of me like a few minutes later, and if they're any good at their job, they'll put it up on the screen <laughs> right about now. <laughs> but um, take a note. <laughs> but you know, like it was flipping crazy. And the next day, I was looking after my niece with my mum, and I just had this big smile on my face, and I just knew everything was right. And I say that to the young young boys that we work with, YDP, and the ones that are eighteen, nineteen. I was like, just make sure you, you know, you be careful because you want to get it right. When it comes to kids, you don't want to just rush into it. And I know things can work out for the good, and it has done on many occasions, and kids are born, and it's a great story. But you want to make sure you as a person are right when you have that kid because, you know, when you do it at the right time, it's fantastic. Yeah. Are you Were you one of these crazy couples that waits to find out what they're having, or did you have the scan and know what you were having? Yeah, we knew. I think the first scan, I said I didn't want to know, and then the second scan, I, she was getting a bit bored and <laughs> agitated. And <laughs> in Greece, they do things a bit differently. You have a lot more scans, but um, we found out. We found out on all three. Yeah. 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 I, I So I've got one boy, and I, I was only allowed, I'm only allowed one shot, so my wife's like, you, know, you can have one. I just strong arm her into having one. <laughs> like, she put loads of barriers in the way, so it was like... I was like, I got to sort of, by the way, you're 31. I was like, well, yeah, I want, to have, I, want to, I want to have kids now. Yeah. She's like, I don't really want to have kids. I was like, well, this is a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, right, okay, well, you need to buy a house or we need to get married. And at the time, I was, like, my job wasn't great at the time. I was thinking, I don't know I'm going to do that. <laughs> well, did, bought the house, got married. And then on the wedding night, I was like, <clears throat> on the wedding night, I was like, right, no more pill. She's like, no, no, no. I was like, Nah, <laughs> that is it. And literally two months later, we found out she was pregnant. Brilliant. But then she was like, you're only having one. That's it. I was like, if I'm only having one, it's got to be a boy. Like, I'm <laughs> got to have a boy. And then when we when we had the scan, like, I, I, no, I burst into tears and I found out I was having a really? boy. Yeah, because I was just, I was so, not that I did, like, it's bad to say that I, did, I didn't want a girl, but every every lad, I think, wants to have a little boy, I think. Just yeah. to, you know, we want to play football with them and yeah, do all yeah. that sort of stuff. So yeah, I did. I, I burst into tears when I found out I was having a boy. But yeah, I'm still trying to convince her to, <laughs> to, to go again. I, I had two girls. So obviously when we got pregnant with a third, I was like, right, it's going to be a girl. You know, let's start thinking of girls' names. So in the back of my mind, I, you know, I openly said, I hope it's a boy, you know. I did. I did want a son. I didn't. I didn't care because I knew how, like what an amazing you know two daughters I had, and if I had another one, it'd be great. But you do, as a as a, a lot of guys say, they they want that son. Um, I don't know to continue the family name, maybe. Yeah, but exactly. Yeah. It's something I don't know, and and also to have that link with because I think I was always scared because I didn't have sisters, and we didn't have many girls in our family apart from my cousins. But I was always scared when we when I saw that we were having a girl first. I was like. I didn't, didn't didn't know if I'd have that connection. I didn't know what they'd be into. I'd be like, I'd never picked up a Barbie in my life. <laughs> yeah. Like, all that sort of thing. But then you just get it and you just, you know, it, it all, all I, comes together. So when we had the third and I found out it was a boy, I was like, you're so happy. I was like, wow. Like, I've had the perfect few years here. I've had yeah. two healthy girls and I've had, a, uh, now I'm going to have a boy. And this is like, you know, 
gift yeah. from somebody. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I had that feeling though. I, I, when you're not sure, the first few weeks is it a boy or a girl? I used to be like, but I don't know what you do with a girl. <laughs> like, what do you do with a girl? You, you think you, you sort of know what you'd have to do with a boy, but yeah, I was a bit like, I have no idea what I do with a girl. Now I'm like, yeah, I want, a, I want a girl. So I keep saying, to her, just imagine, you know, you could go horse riding with your little girl, get her into all that. <laughs> but yeah, it's not. <laughs> did, did any of you guys have any complications or anything when you? Um, had babies no 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 like birth no. and leading up to it I no. remember finding so a bit like you when we found out <clears throat> I remember seeing the pregnancy test and my actual words were fuck off you're having me on because it was just such a because I always wanted children always and when that moment came I genuinely thought she was winding me up I thought that's a really good joke. <laughs> Pretend you're having a kid. Well done. Yeah. But I remember seeing that and my actual words were, fuck off. Really? And she was like, what? I was like, you have like, do another one now. Yeah. And we went out, we bought more. Um, probably even got McFlurry as well. It just seems like a standard thing. <laughs> Calm your nerves. And yeah, but from the birth, like my son was born very quick. He had water birth and it was very quick from his waters, from her waters bursting in Costa in the hospital to give him birth I think was like an hour it was very quick wow it was rapid but there was no complications um, I just remember that <laughs> that feeling of oh no like that's it that is no longer just a bump it's yeah. an actual human being like I'm responsible now so it's a case of right get yourself in check mm. what about you Luke did you have any any complications for yours um, with the births, no, all three of, um, obviously like the first one was in Greece, which was <laughs> mayhem because not mayhem. It was absolutely brilliant. We had, we actually went private over there because, um, you know, we just made that decision. It's a bit different. Mm -hmm. The NHS over there isn't as, as good basically. Sure. And it's not actually as expensive, expensive as you think. Um, you know, weird Panathinaikos fans seeing me in the hospital on the day of the birth, they're trying to like get little uh, bits and bobs and you know it was a bit surreal because some people aren't as professional as maybe they should be <laughs> but yeah in, in all it was it was a great um great three births but th the reason i say that is because on my third which is leo obviously we found out it was my a boy boy's called leo is it yeah brilliant <laughs> and uh yeah no we just had this strange scenario where i was driving home from train one day and jessica rang me and she said that look um, I've been for this scan. I couldn't make the scan and the blood test and stuff that. And she'd had a call from the hospital and they said, look, your son's in um, like a high risk category of Down syndrome. So it was like, um, it's tough call. Yeah. And I got home and they said, we called the doctors again. And they said, look, um, your son's in the high, they do an equation mm -hmm. where they'd have like the age, the blood test results and things like that. And they say that, um, you know, they can work out the chances. Mm -hmm. So basically we were in the high risk category of Down syndrome. And I remember that journey. I can imagine that as it's tough because it's your it's your unborn child, isn't it? It's a, it's a whole world of complication. What 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 
point in the pregnancy is that? That's after about four or five months. Yeah, quite quite far gone. So that journey was very tough. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, no, sorry. I, I, that journey was the toughest ever because I was an hour and a half from home driving from London. Then I had the phone call because I didn't know whether she got the wording wrong. Obviously, she was a bit upset. Mm-hmm. I heard them say them words the same. They said, look, you can go. There's three options you can have, basically. And we talk about whether you love your son. I remember thinking for the next, you know, this boy is so real to me, which is different to the other two because I hadn't really thought about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this scenario just brought this, um, I think it was like, I always felt so lucky. Like, and I was thinking, I knew I wouldn't be lucky forever. Yeah. Because this is like, and, I, and already on that journey, I decided that obviously I knew what was coming if, if um, the results came that way, that like I wanted to keep yeah yeah and my partner was the same and I just remember thinking loads of things about other people who go for this and go for that and it must be so so difficult and then we went through tests and you pay for a special test where they take the blood mm-hmm. and they can know for sure so they test it not just for Down syndrome but for other things and all that sort of thing and I think it was 10 days you had to wait you know <sighs> And that, that was tough yeah. because, like I said, it was a lot of things going through your mind and you made this decision anyway. And we'd, we'd made that decision that we wanted it and we loved it like yeah. it was there. And the, reset, the results came back and it was, um, you know, it was perfectly healthy. It was fine. And like that was another huge day. But, yeah. you know, we went, we, went, we went through that and we didn't, we didn't even really talk about it after because it was like... Oh, that's gone. Yeah. Like, what what were we worrying about? They gave us the stats. Like, we've got, I can't even remember the number. One in a hundred, like, chance of, of ha- having it. And, yeah. you know, I used to think of a roulette wheel and how many times the ball hit the same number three times on the trot. So I try and do the maths in my head of what the chances are, you know. So, you know, thankfully it didn't turn out that way. And it was, it was difficult because it was like... I was always thinking of all these like people who, who I know who's had complications at birth, and I was like, "Wow!" Like I realise now yeah. in that moment why people start charities, why they do so much good because there's scenarios that go on in people's lives, and like straight away I was thinking, "What can I do? What can I yeah. do?" You know, and it's I completely could, out of your hands. As yeah, well. <clears throat> I remember a conversation we had um, before Dexter was born, <clears throat> and it was these these tests because when I met my my ex-partner she had already had a baby she had a really bad pregnancy she was born back to back and it was just a whole world of hurt and when we found out about Dexter I remember she didn't want to go through with it she didn't want to have Dexter and then there was conversations about oh we need to get these tests done because he could have Down syndrome it could be this could be this could be this and I'd never experienced any of that and I always had this this sort of thought process in my head and this image of parents with kids with Down syndrome and you see them out in the park and you, see, and you you just see the struggle you see how other people especially back then how people would automatically assume that's wrong that person's they're not getting on well that you can't mix you can't play <clears throat> and I remember that conversation because I was quite I was quite abrupt and I say I said to her you, there's no way you're getting rid of my my son. Like my my. I always wanted a boy, so I all from mm. the start I was like, "It's my son." 
<coughs> I think we called him Peanut or something. <coughs> but I was like, there's no way you're getting, there's no way. There's no way. And I remember having conversations trying to convince her, basically sell my side. No, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And mm. you know what? If he's born with any complications or Down syndrome or anything, it doesn't matter. And yeah. I remember at that age going, no, doesn't matter. Whatever, whatever comes out, that's it. He's mine. She's mine. I'll be that protective, overprotective parent. Yeah. And it, it would not matter to me. And I know there's a lot of people out there that it does because of the complications that come with it. It's, it's your lifestyle. Everything has to change. And there's charities, like, I love those kind of charities that they really do help parents that are going through it. Because nowadays it's, you get this stigma, don't you? You get a stigma. If you see, there's a kid that goes to the same preschool as my son that has Downs. And do you know what? Every time we're in the queue in the morning, he comes over and he's stood there. He's about, this, he's tiny. And he's stood there and he's looking up at me and he's, he's trying to talk and he's just happy. So happy in, mm. in his little world. Yeah. And Dexter, I remember once him saying, very loud, you know what kids are like, no filter. He was like, why does he, why does he look like that? And why is he talking like that, Pappy? He calls me Pappy. He's like, why is he talking like that, Pappy? That's not right. And I remember thinking, how do I have this conversation with a four-year-old? Like, he is okay. He's just different. Yeah. That, that's him. You're you. You're different to him. And I remember the parents were stood further back in the queue. And I just thought, I wonder how they feel. I didn't have the balls to go and ask because it was, Dexter was very loud, very abrupt. Um, gets up from me. But I, I thought, how have you guys had it? There's me complaining at certain times through Dexter mm. and, and his upbringing. And I'm thinking, wow, like what, what's your journey been? How's, how tough has it been for you guys? I know, I know, nice. a, I know a, a family that have a Down syndrome kid. Honestly, <laughs> the the life that that kid has is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Like the, the the stuff they do with her, the, yeah. she, she's always super happy. So like the, yeah. every time I see their photos, I'm always like chuffed for them because yeah. they are. I, I think you sort of said it there. You know, some people have a have a problem like with, yeah. with it themselves, but being a parent, and I've written about this a couple of times, is that. You almost you you need to leave the ego at the door, right? Parenting when you mm. become a dad, it isn't about you anymore. It's about your kids, and yeah. it's about providing a life for them that maybe I don't know. It's a cliche that you want to give the kids the life that you didn't have, but I think some people that struggle with parenting, they're just too selfish. You mm. can't be selfish as a parent. It's all about it's it's no longer about you, and it's about it's about your kids. And if you can't if you can't take that the shutters off and and yeah. take, separate yourself from that then I think you'll struggle being a parent yeah. I, I think like you know we've all mentioned us um, our sons playing football and stuff like that and I remember always thinking oh, when I thought I'd be this perfect parent that you know I'd help him because I'd be able to tell him this tell him that or tell her how to do gymnastics and tell her that and tell her this but then I've realised after having children that let them be free let them yeah. do what they want and let them figure out if they're any good at sport or not and the reasons you want them to play foot sport is to enjoy it, not yeah, yeah. Mm. To, to not to be the professional yeah. or to be at the Olympics and things like that. Yes, that would be amazing. But there's tiny, minuscule percentage of people who do that that, 
you know, go on and be professionals and think it's unlikely, very unlikely. But you want them to love sport. And I've seen so many lads and I've played with so many lads that ended up hating football, not playing football. And I believe it was because of the parents. And I do see it now sometimes. I see it now with, with different people that, you know, speak to their parent, their, their child in the wrong way. And I think I just want them to... To, to let them be free and enjoy it because that's why you want them to be to yeah. play football. You want, of course, you want them to be great, but you just want them to enjoy it. Like my my young my eldest goes to gymnastics. That's the first class that she's been in. Yeah, and uh, I have to really kind of pinch myself and say, don't get involved in the session. A, you're not a gymnast, <laughs> and, uh, and like let her enjoy the experience of using yeah. the hoop or something yeah. simple. Don't think, oh, she's got to be on the beam. She's got to do yeah. this twizzle and that. Like she's, they've just got to get on with it. And they've got to, so they, I, I've really learned, or I'm trying to learn at the moment and force myself to not be that parent. And as I know that the ne next few years, they're going to be joining clubs and they're going to like different things. And whatever they like is fine. You know, dance, ballet, whatever. Football, if they want. It could be the girls that like football. He, he yeah, might hate yeah. it. And that's fine because you just want them to be happy, but you have to be, you th I see parents and they th I think, I think people get, um, conf it's confusing for people that think if I don't shout and, sh and tell them what to do, that's me not being supportive, but it's actually the opposite. If you sit back and let the coach who you're p probably paying, who's probably experienced, let them do their job. And I believe that the child will have a, a better time, B, there'll be a better player or yeah. you know whatever yeah, well, activity it, it is it's like there's, a, there's enough you put enough pressure on yourself i think back to being at 60 16 17 when i walked through the door at 16 here i i just went like that you know i crumbled really because i i sort of walked into a room for your your i mean the academy at the time was unbelievable mm. uh, some of the players that they had but you were all you'd all come up through the ages all quite a close-knit group so coming into that group was quite difficult and i think if you then have somebody else on the back of that trying to put pressure on you like a pet i mean i didn't have a dad so my dad wasn't around um, but you know if, if you then got your dad putting pressure on yourself as well <clears throat> you can see why people struggle to to actually deliver you'll have seen players that have been phenomenal at some clubs but then go to a new club and maybe can't deliver the same that they were doing before and is that is that I, one of my questions actually was how much do you think football is men, mentality or that they get your mentality and versus ability how much what do you think is the difference there well i think you know you need both to be a professional everything you need both but there are players, I will say, there are players who don't have a lot of mental stability mm -hmm. who become professionals because they're such good athletes and, yeah. you know, skillful and things like that. And then when they come into the professional game, the pressure's a hundred times more than academy football. Mm -hmm. You've got fans, you've got money, you've got jobs to think about. And then they, you see them crumble. And I've yeah. seen that on many occasions and it is hard, it's sad because then, you know, you get very tough managers who, you know, could break a player. Mm -hmm. And like what we said before, Eddie, like it was probably tougher 15, 20 years ago, but wrongly. Yeah. Because you'd get players who probably thrive off that, but then you'd get a percentage that you don't even talk about now because they left the game or they went to play semi-pro or yeah. lower because they couldn't handle the pressure of the top, top level. And that's because they hadn't, I didn't have that mental stability and that. well, that's true you play against some players even 
non-league, all mm. of that. And I still do it now. I play against some players and I think, <clears throat> you're, you're amazing. Like, you should be playing a lot higher. <clears throat> you get chatting to them, you find out they used to play academy or youth team here, there, but they left the game. You don't get into the, the, the whys with it, but you, you kind of know, having experienced players and you've seen players leave teams. But it's weird that you, <laughs> even now you play against guys, you think you should be playing professional level right now. But they don't want to because yeah, the pr- they, the they want the relaxation, no pressure. And it might have come from, you know, a family yeah. member or somebody so early, pushed them on and they pushed them out of like yeah. doing, doing what they love. I remember, I remember a guy, uh, again, I won't mention his name, but he, used to, he, used to, he was a pro at Grimsby when Grimsby were fairly decent when we were younger. And he quit, and he quit to become a bricklayer and play Saturday, Sunday football. Because he was like, I learn more, I'm earning more money bricklaying <laughs> and I just love playing football with my mates. You know, he yeah. just, you know, like I say, fell out, sort of fell out of it. Um, so, well, no, we sort of run over a little bit, but just um, one of the things we always like to know, how did, did you, was it... A, was it a difficult conversation with the names of your kids or was that relatively easy? Um, to be honest... Did we, you have a say? <laughs> <laughs> I did have a say. We vetoed a few each, but first one, um, we, you know, we took our time and then I think the second two, we rushed them massively. We didn't have... You know, and, but to be fair, by the third, we'd run out of names. You know, we'd gone through them all, but... Yeah, we're not one to mess about. We we thought the names quite early on, you know, halfway through the pregnancy. I think all three were sorted, so it wasn't a big deal. We tried to get a Greek name for Sienna. She was gonna, she was Athena um, or Sienna, and that was about the dilemma we had. With the other three, the last Leo is, you know, it's easy to spell. It's quick. Hopefully, giving him advantage, more time doing his test if uh, he has to write his name at the top. Yeah. But no, it was pretty simple to be fair. Yeah, my, my my boy's called Leonardo, but my wife calls him Leo. I call him Nardo. She hates Leonardo, so we compromised on on Leo. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, I, people think the house is Leonardo, but we've just put Leo. <laughs> and no middle name as well. No. Third, no. Just we're easy. There, we actually doing the registry. That was after. a quick test. Yeah, <laughs> and we couldn't think of a middle name, so we said like, let's just leave it. Luke, do you want to tell us about the the, the youth dreams project that you do? What's uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, um, so seven years ago, we started a company, myself and um, Luke Kennedy, who is uh, here at Peterborough United and played professionally for Rushton. Um, We had the conversation about starting something and it escalated into many ideas. So we go into the schools, we do the curriculum, the PE in a lot of schools around Cambridgeshire. Um, We do all the half-term camps. And we kept coming up with ideas. So like it went to birthday parties, obviously the half-term camps came about. We now work in youth offenders um, places like prisons for young people. Um, We do a lot with, we actually have a a football academy now, which is separate, um, which we have six, sevens, eights and nines. We have a scholarship programme. So basically people associate with football because of me, but it's actually multi-sport, you know, mm-hmm. spas, dance, swimming, music. Um, we have a music teacher who goes into the schools, very uh, special needs schools, which we absolutely love. And it's just escalated over the last seven years. We throw a hell of a Christmas party if you're ever in the in the area. I'm sure AD will get invited <laughs> if, uh, if his boy signs for YDP and the sixes. But... Yeah, it's just something that I, I, I'll be honest, I didn't plan on doing when I was uh, in my 20s. I'm not, 
you know, that phrase of, oh, I wanted to give something back. But now I started it and I absolutely love it. I'm yeah. addicted. You know, we have a little tuck shop at, at the uh, venue that we use a lot. Um, and there's so much to be done. Yeah. You know, there's so much to be done in this. We do so much good work. We have Diddy's football on a Sunday morning, which has been one of the first projects, which is football for three to six year olds. And, you know, they learn discipline and the rules and basically, um, you know, getting out there in the fresh air, doing activities. So it's kind of just rolled on. We, we still actually do things in Greece, in Athens, where I lived. And uh, we've just moved over to Oxfordshire. So we're active over there, too. It's pretty cool. There's so many things to deal with. And like when we spoke earlier about the greats of Alex Ferguson, when we, you know, have new staff and things like that, I always think of things that he, he does and he did to try and, you know, imply into our YDP culture, if you like. Yeah. Dexter goes to that. <clears throat> He's just started. Right. And all week, all I get every single day Am I going football tomorrow? Am I going football tomorrow? <laughs> All week. It doesn't matter what else he's done. <clears throat> and when it comes to football on the Sunday, he's he's just buzzing. And that's that's a credit to the coaches there because they're so good. Um, I remember coaching out in the States and I remember having a young age group and I thought, <laughs> what am I going to do here? Because they're not interested. We ended up playing games which sort of incorporated football skills and stuff. But now seeing Dexter do it, and how much he loves it and the interaction between the coach and I just it's amazing what you guys are doing it is incredible because there's so many football teams and things you can take your kids to I took Dexter to one uh, way before YDP because then lockdown and stuff and I always thought oh, he's going to love it he went there and I could see at three years old he was bored mm. he wasn't getting anything from it so stopped doing it because I didn't want him to start hating going and you know, be that what we spoke yeah, about. definitely. So we stopped and then we went into his four, hunted around for these places and everyone I asked said, have you heard of YDP? Have you done this with YDP? And I was like, at the time I was like, the hell's YDP? No, we're lucky because we've got a really good coach at that age, James yeah. D'Souza, who I think some people is naturally good at He's so, talking to yeah. that age and it's not necessarily how strict you are. You know, he sometimes speaks yeah. quietly and the, you can see the lads leaning in to try and listen to what he's saying because yeah. that's his way. Dexter calls him coach. Like, if four years old, yeah. he's like, can yeah. I go and give coach a fist bump? And I'm like, go but for it's, it. It's funny because it's, it, it's almost... I, I talked about this quite a lot but I remember as a, as a five, six, seven, eight year old we used to go to this place called the Adventure Playground in Grantham where I grew up and it was just a place where you could do lots of different activities like swimming, archery, football everything and there was a, I think from like from 10 local government just checked out of doing that for kids and it was mm. It just disappeared. So then what happened? The kids then just fall out onto the street, start getting in trouble. I'm from quite a rough, rough estate in Grantham. And you, the, the the kids, when we were up to sort of 10, 11, we were sort of kept on the straight and narrow by going to these clubs and yeah. going, going to these groups. And then you saw the void that it left when when the funding stopped and the places had to close. It, it was it was unbelievable. Like the kids went off, they ended up in mm -hmm. prison and all sorts of places. So it's it's good that that does fill a gap that the the governments aren't or the local councils aren't providing because they should be really. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, well, I've never ever said that we're trying to produce professionals no. in any of the sports we do, but people don't realise that sport is there for everybody. It's mm -hmm. not there just for the ones who are good. And it's not just there for the ones who are naughty, it's for every single person, yeah. you know. And 
what it creates is an atmosphere and it creates who you are. It created who I was because I spent more time at Peterborough United Academy than anywhere else, mm-hmm. you know, and it allows you to meet people, make friends, make memories, you know, and that's why they have different tiers of football because they have the bottom tier because some people aren't as good as others. Yeah, they're not yeah. naturally as good and they're never going to be as good. Yeah. But you can still win the bottom league yeah. and, have, and, you know, be lifted up on someone's shoulders and things like that. <laughs> uh, any sport. And it's just great. It's just, it's, just, it's just totally addictive. And obviously, you're both welcome to come to anything that we do. Um, I'm just waiting for the YVP men's team. <laughs> I'm waiting for that. Oh, you didn't get a shout last week. Vets team. <laughs> In fact, Jonesy did that. Vets uh, team, I think. The... Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I can still cut it. <laughs> yeah. So we get, well, I get to, you know, meet loads of parents and they're great. They're phenomenal. Their parents are what make it because they, at the end of the day, they bring them, yeah. they get involved and, you know, they want to be involved and I do with my daughters and my son in the future, but, you know, it brings people together and it's all for the good. Mm. There's no negative aspect to it at all. And the more that we do, the better. And like I said, the parents have been so supportive in and around the Cambridge area. Um, you know, they can't do enough for, to help us. And we obviously hopefully give back um, by, you know, looking after their children and making them better people. So it's a win-win for everyone. <clears throat> yeah, it is. And I thing I'll, I'll finish on for me personally is that <clears throat> with that, that f- football on a Sunday... I actually look forward to it all week because it's me and my boy. We yeah. get to go. But how how I see his face light up when he wakes up on a Sunday morning knowing it's football. Yeah. Because he's so excited to go. And when he's there, he's just on it. But he has such a good time. And that's the thing. He leaves there and I leave there really happy. Because like, it gives you something to do as well. Mm. You have an opportunity to go and do something. And the fact that he leaves there so happy and just to see that look on his face like I would give that like every day of the week I would pay whatever I could or whatever I needed to to see that on his face yeah <clears throat> and that's just come from that one that one little thing that YDP have created because of that atmosphere and I'm talking to a parent never met before and yeah having a chat and the kids are kids bring you together the yeah. kids are having a yeah, laugh yeah. and then they might be partnered off and then you're helping as a parent with their parent and it's just this whole social aspect yeah. which we've lacked for the last Two years, mm. year and a half, two years with COVID. All of a sudden, you're out. Everyone's happy. It's just honestly, it's such a good thing to do. And I better be called up for the uh, for team. <laughs> you got a trial, <laughs> Luke. Last question, mate. Um, any more kids in the future? No, I think that's um, more than enough. To be honest, I think at two we uh, we plan to have a break, and then somehow we got pregnant again. Um, but I think that's enough. Okay. You know, I think that's enough logistically. You know, the, <laughs> yeah. the car situation worries me anyway. But um, no, I'm really pleased with the three that I've got. And, you know, hopefully we can uh, handle them at the moment. It's tough. You know, mine are yeah. four, two and five months. I've been five. told it's a tough, tough <laughs> age for them to be because we've had them so quickly. Well, but <laughs> someone, I, someone I interviewed referred to that as the hurt locker. So it's like those first two years... The, you're in the hurt locker like it's, yeah. sort of, it's tough and it, they, they had two and it was like let's just bang them straight out stay in the hurt locker for as short as possible and just done that's yeah. how you've that, just gone hurt locker, hurt locker, hurt locker. <laughs> yeah that's our way I mean while we're on this podcast my phone's vibrated about six times they're calling me so it's nice to have a bit of a break um, <laughs> but I'll be home soon yeah. Jess um, <laughs> 
Yeah, but it's been it's been great. Yeah, I can't no. wait to see what they're like. You know, it's loads to look forward to. School and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it could be a part two podcast that we do, and we're all moaning like hell in about <laughs> yeah. five ten years time. But yeah. we'll see yeah. what happened. <laughs> yeah. Listen, we appreciate you coming on, mate. Uh, it's been brilliant sort of catching up with you because uh, it's been yeah like twenty years since I think I saw you last. Um, but yeah, look, I really appreciate you coming on, and speaking to us. Thanks very yeah, much. Thanks for your time. Yeah, Thank brilliant. You. No, it's, in, it's enjoyable. I've never done a podcast like this before. Um, but it's nice to you know open up about being a dad and yeah. thanks very much for having me on no thanks for sharing appreciate it no, thank cheers. you cheers